the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Some folks like to get away, take a holiday from the neighborhood. Hop a flight to Miami Beach or to Hollywood. But I'm taking a Greyhound on the Hudson River line. I'm in a New York state of mind. And I'm on, ladies and gentlemen. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, coming at you on AM860, The Answer. And I think we're on an FM station, aren't we, Ken? I am here. Where there you are, are Doc. I know. Is my button out of place there? Yes, we are. AM, FM, we're everywhere. Which FM you know. station are we on? We are on uh, we are on uh, WLSS AM in Sarasota, and we also on WGUL in uh, in uh, Tampa. WLSS and WGUL. We're there you at go. You on both, man, we're hot stuff now. We're moving up. You're simulcasting world. everywhere. We're simulcasting. He's got the everywhere. entire, you know, west coast of uh, Florida at your All disposal. All right. And you know, folks, you can reach me worldwide on the web at drbillradiomd.com. Uh, and just click listen live or go to the station's website, which is, uh, I believe it is theanswer.com or 860theanswer.com and click listen live. 9 to 10 a.m. every Sunday morning, we're here for you. And we played a little bit of Billy Joel because we have another mayor of New York City trying to become president. There seems to be a string of them over the past 50 or 60 years going way back. Actually, there were some at the turn of the last century, but we had... Most recent, most recently, Lindsay, De Blasio, Giuliani, and now Bloomberg. I believe that uh, Giuliani ran before De Blasio. So, uh, but my friend Al, who I talk about frequently, he says being mayor of New York City is pretty much a dead end job. And people say, well, why is that? Well, you know, it's a big city. It's a lot of responsibility, largest city in the country. A lot of prestige goes along with it. Uh, but it uh, doesn't carry the same weight as being a senator or a governor. So it seems to be somewhat of a dead-end job. It, it's kind of curious how this guy from uh, South Bend, Indiana, has been able to uh, start making some headway in the Democratic primaries. But I think it's just the novelty of, of his situation that's pulling people in. At any rate, we'll get into into Mr. Bloomberg, Mayor Bloomberg's uh ideas and discuss those a little bit. But first, I wanted to tell you about a patient I had, uh, just a little medical, just to keep it interesting. We'll break it up a little bit. He uh, had had a drink or two, not not a big drinker. He maybe had, you know, a couple of highballs throughout a 12-hour period. Older guy, 81. And uh, was out in the sun all day. And then he got in the hot tub and stayed in there for several minutes. And when he got out, um, he had a little passing out, a little syncopal episode. And so they brought him to the hospital and we admitted him. He did have a few extra heartbeats, but it, it didn't look like it was enough to cause him to lose consciousness. So he probably 
had what we call a vasovagal reaction. That is when you uh, drop your blood pressure and your heart rate as a normal response to certain stimuli and also as an abnormal response. Uh, it's a protective mechanism to keep us from having blood pressure go too high in our brain. But it becomes a little bit out of control in some people and, and as a genetic phenomenon and other people as they get older, a lot of us have the ability or the inability to mount a normal blood vessel and heart rate response when, when we do get in a situation that requires that we maintain our blood pressure and, re and maintain our heart rate so we don't pass out. But probably uh, the, the thing that we worry about the most, especially in a guy in his 80s, is heart rhythm disturbances, extra heartbeats or irregular heartbeats. And so I'm, I did the workup in the hospital that we could do there. And I told him, I said, look, you're feeling fine. You look okay. Your brain scans normal. Your neck arteries are wide open. Your heart muscles squeezing fine. We did an ultrasound of the heart and all the blood work came back pretty normal. He might've been a little bit on the dehydrated side, but uh, really not, not enough to, to warrant raising eyebrows. And so we gave, gave him some fluid, perked him up, sent him home the next day. But here's the thing. In order to check for uh, a significant uh, malignant bad heart rhythm disturbance, we need to put a Holter monitor on you or we need to put an event monitor on you. There are also event monitors that can be placed under the skin and you can wear these for several months. It's just a little minor surgery. Uh, we make a little pocket and stick it in there. Or you can wear an external one usually uh, for uh, two to four weeks at the most. A little bit of an inconvenience. And it's important, especially if you've had problems with passing out, that you see somebody as you get older, you know, the blood vessels in the brain become more friable. And if you fall and hit your head, you are more likely to have a bleed into your head. And if you're on blood thinners or you're taking an aspirin or you're taking Plavix or some other medication for blood thinning, then you're at even higher risk. So if you do have a history of passing out or you've passed out recently, Make sure you get into your doctor and get a checkup and ask that the appropriate workup be performed. And that includes monitoring for irregular heart rates over a longer period of time than just in the office or in the hospital for a day. So that's my medical for the morning. Now you got it. Well, I was talking with my buddy, Sudi. Sudi is a, a nice guy, just a, a, a prince of a guy. He's a nephrologist here in town and he, uh, hails from India originally, and he's a pacifist and a nice guy and, and cares about people. And of course, he's a liberal. And we were talking about the uh, rape case in India where the police took four of the victim, uh, not the victims, the perpetrators out to apparently reenact the crime. This is reported in Reuters on December 6th. And the, uh, the four perpetrators were killed by the police. The police said that the men tried to take their weapons away from them, and there was an ensuing battle, and my friend Sudi said, oh, the police just executed them. It was a vigilante situation, and tens of thousands of people were in the streets cheering, and the, the woman who had been raped and killed was a young veterinarian in, I believe the city was uh, Hyderabad, which is, yeah, Hyderabad, which is in the southern part of India. And so 
people were out in the streets cheering and setting off fireworks. And there are 90 cases of rape reported in India each day, and you know that's way underreported. And so apparently this is a big deal. Now, Sudi said, you know, justice may have been served, but it was served in the wrong way. They should have gone through the court system. And I said, I agree with you, Sudi. You're right. And, of course, that morphed into talking politics, and uh, he's an anti-Trump guy. And he, his question is, why is Trump interfering in the 2020 election? I said, what do you mean? And, and this is all he hears because all he listens to is CNN and he doesn't read the transcripts. And he, he, of course, he'll tell you he does. But, you know, that most people don't want to appear ignorant. Uh, so they'll tell you, yeah, I know about that or I read that or I saw that. And I said, well, it's not about 2020. It's about 2016. That's why we elected the president. We wanted to investigate and both the Democrats and the Republicans wanted whoever was coming in to investigate Russian interference. In the 2016 election, that's what this whole thing started out about. And part of that is what part did the Ukrainians and the Ukrainian company and the Ukrainian servers play in the Democrats' uh, attempt to uh, interfere with Trump's campaign? And the whole Steele dossier, we know that that's fabricated. And he said the 2016 election... I mean, he didn't even realize that this whole thing started with the 2016 election. And this is one of the problems that we're going to have to deal with as we talk with our uh, liberal friends and neighbors and family members. And they get very emotional, of course, because they just don't like this guy. And they don't like the idea that he is not helping the little guy, even though he is. But, you know, he doesn't he doesn't have that uh, kind of charisma that. Uh, puts his arms around everybody and, and hugs them and loves them the way that some of the Democrats can can put on and, and act like they're so concerned about the little guy, which we know is a lot of nonsense for, for a lot of them. Some of them really do care. So at any rate, I said, Sudi, this is about 2016. This isn't about 2020. And he said, you know, Bill, I, I, I try to stay in the middle, but I have some real problems with with what's going on on the right. And I said, okay. And he said, why are we allowing assault weapons? I said, Sudi, do you know what an assault weapon is? No. I said, do you know what a hunting rifle is? He said, that's a rifle that you shoot deer with. I said, well, that's all an assault weapon is. You know what makes it an assault weapon? He said, well, isn't it automatic? I said, no, it's just like a hunting rifle. It's a semi-automatic. You have to pull the trigger each time. All you do is you take off the wooden stock off of a hunting rifle and you put on what looks like a military stock. And instead of a small clip, you put on a bigger clip, which holds more shells. And that's what people are calling an assault rifle. And we'll get into more of that later when we talk about Bloomberg and how he wants to ban assault rifles. And he said, well, you know, is the Second Amendment still relevant? I said, what are you talking about? We're arguing about the same things now as we were. 200 years ago at the Constitutional Convention. We're talking about who should vote, voters' rights, uh, taxation, uh, the welfare state. If you give the little guy everything, including the vote, will they uh, take over the economy and uh, demand everything for free? I mean, all these things have already come up. They've, they've been debated for 
centuries, and they've been debated within our republic since the inception of the republic. I mean, these were big questions that were debated and addressed during the Constitutional Convention in the 1780s, and, uh, you know, that Madison and Hamilton wrote the Federalist Papers, which were uh, uh, pro-Constitution, uh, uh, try to convince people to go along with the, the new Constitution that had been written in 1787-88 and get it ratified by the states so that we could form the Union and move on and have a stronger country. And it worked. And it's largely Hamilton's, uh, uh, his, his idea of how a country should be run uh, with a, a strong executive and Madison's uh, belief that a country should have a strong legislation. Legislature agreed upon a, a balance of power and they both agreed that we needed more centralization. We needed a, a centrally uh, central banking system, at least initially that's what uh, Madison believed. But, I think over time he morphed into a Jeffersonian and then he didn't like the federal bank. But initially that's what we had and that's what we've got. And so part of that, part of the reason that Virginia and other states said that they would cite it is because they wanted a bill of rights. And one of the biggest things, and it's no accident that it comes right after the first amendment is the second amendment, which says that in order for the states to maintain a militia and be ready to repel an overly intrusive, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, federal government, overly obtrusive the federal government that the state should have, the individual should have a right to maintain and bear arms so they can form militias. And that was the whole point of it. Now, in the 19th century, as I've talked about before, uh, that was strictly interpreted and assault weapons like Gatling guns in the 19th century, uh, the, the Supreme Court said, no, that's not part of this. This is for the states, for the state-level militia, it has to be an organized militia. In the 20th and 21st century, it's gotten more liberal. So now we have these assault rifles that are pretty high-powered, but we've had high-powered rifles for, for, uh, for 120, 150 years. Uh, we've had the 30-06, you know, the Browning hunting rifles. Those were what were used by the snipers during the Vietnam War. And... Uh, now they're using a 50 caliber, which is a, a much bigger, uh, heavier, larger shell that travels further. And you can't go out and just buy a 50 caliber rifle, a sniper rifle. You have to apply to the ATF, the alcohol, tobacco, and firearms. You have to pay a, an extra fee. I don't know, it's $1,000 or something like that. And it takes about a year because they really investigate you then. You can also get a silencer. You can get an automatic, a fully automatic, but you have to apply for these things and you have to go through certain hoops and it costs more money. Whereas the permit for carrying a weapon, a pistol, uh, you get at the state level and you can go over to uh, Tampa and there's an office over there. I think it's the Department of Agriculture that actually handles that in the state of Florida. And you have to make application and get fingerprinted and uh, you can't have a record and you have to you have to go through some hoops and you got to pay a little fee. And I did that. And I know a lot of my friends who have done that. So the idea that things have changed and that a an armed rebellion 
is is uh, certainly not going to happen and out of the question and unreasonable. Well, these are all the same things that the people were saying in the North in the 1840s and 50s. And although one looking at that objectively would say the South didn't have much of a chance, it's interesting that the kill ratio was three Northerners died for every Southerner. The Southern, the, the problem with the South was that it, its cause was uh, not popular and that disillusion with uh, uh, slavery in the North and the uh, abolitionist movement in the Northeast uh, spurred this whole thing. And the South said, if Lincoln gets elected, we're leaving. And they did. And, but most of the Midwestern Northerners and Western Northerners, the uh, people west of the Appalachians out into Michigan and Wisconsin, they were fighting for preservation of the Union. They didn't care about slavery, and they didn't want to die for uh, the slavery cause. They were dying for preservation of the Union. And so you had, at that time, uh, 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 an agricultural South with no real uh, industry. And uh, it was taking on one of the biggest industrial powers in the world because the Northeast was, and the North was growing rapidly. And a lot of Northerners, including uh, General Sherman said, you know, this is a losing cause for you guys in the South. You don't have, you don't have the, uh, the ability to match us in terms of manufacture of heavy armament and weaponry and trains and railroads and uh, all the things that are needed that were needed at that time to get troops to the front lines, have them adequately armed and ready to fight. And the South said, well, we'll, we'll just trade overseas and get what we need. And of course the North said, well, no, you won't because we're blockading all your ports, which they did. And so it was a losing cost from the start. And that's okay because, you know, the abolition of slavery was, was a thing that had to happen, had to happen. We had to get rid of slavery and we had to make the country uh, more equal in every aspect. And of course, these things take time. But my point is that even against overwhelming odds, people do revolt. And the idea, the notion that you have 50 million Americans who are armed, and how many of those are actually going to go out and fight, you know, militias, state level militias are notorious for uh, running away. But uh, uh, nevertheless, you still have that thought in the back of your mind if you're somebody who wants to take over the country and have a, a, a rule of leftist, far left or far right, you, you have to stop and think, hmm, is this going to work? And will the military, will they fight their own family? That's the other question. So there is a purpose to the Second Amendment, and it does check our federal government, and it does make them stop and think. And like his, Hitler said, if you want to control a country, you got to disarm it. And that's what he did. He disarmed it. So I, I said to Sudi, I said, look, Sudi, this may not make much sense to you, but for me growing up here, it makes a lot of sense. I fully understand that the right to bear arms is a deterrent to uh, an overly intrusive uh, federal government. He said, I understand about England and you guys were feeling suppressed and and, uh, you know, you were denied the right to own guns and all that. And we ignored that, of course. And then when the British came over here, they were surprised that there were so many guns around. And not only were there guns, but some of those Kentucky boys had figured out how to rifle a gun. Rifling is when you inscribe a little circular uh, um, 
uh, grooves into the inside of the rifle barrel so the bullet spins and when it spins it shoots straighter and it goes further and the american sharpshooters in the revolutionary war were picking off uh, uh, fairly accurately from 100 and 150 yards away they were picking off the uh, british officers because they knew that without the officers the british wouldn't fight uh, and that's what happened uh in a couple of battles that the uh, that Washington actually prevailed on, uh, and so there are reasons and purposes to all of this, and it may not make sense to everybody, especially on the left, because it's an emotional argument. Because they say, "Well, what about all these people being killed by these mass shootings with these semi-automatic assault rifles?" I said, "How many people are are being killed? How many people have been killed by?" assault rifles this year. I mean, we're close to the end of the year. What is it, 200, 250, maybe? I mean, mass shootings, which is any shooting involving three or more people, which can be done with a pistol, they're also included in the mass murder. And so that could be some guy losing control and killing his wife and kids or shooting his mother and his, his uh, girlfriend or whatever. Uh, you know, and then himself, that's a mass murder. So that's with a pistol. You know, there are about 10,000 murders a year in the United States, and most of these are committed with pistols. And there are very few rifle-involved uh, murders. But, you know, and even fewer, I mean, you're talking less than one-tenth of one percent of the population that succumbs to murder or death. Uh, by somebody with an assault rifle. It just is not that. I, I mean, I know it's emotional and we hate to see it and we're sorry for the people. But, you know, like I said in previous weeks, if you want to be safe at Walmart, get your flu shot. You know, we had 60,000 people die from flu in 2017. And we had one or 200 people die from assault rifles. So this is this is really not. I mean, this is it, it's dramatic but it's just a ploy to disarm. And that's what Bloomberg wants to do. Well, at any rate, Sudi was uh, concerned and he said, you know, these, these people, these uh, policemen in Hyderabad should not have, uh, if it's true that, that what Sudi is telling me that, that they should not have uh, executed these four perpetrators, even if they were guilty that they should have gone through the system. And I agree, you know, that's why you have a legal system is so that these things go through it. And I think that, as I've said before, that's what separates us as a country from a lot of other countries in the world is that we do generally have a rule of law. And a rule of law is what separates us from uh, the chaos and corruption of a lot of the world. And one of the guys at the lunch table who grew up in rural India, he said, well, you know, if a guy came over from, from another little town out in the country to our town where everybody knew everybody and he stole something and we didn't know who it was, we'd just get a gang, go over there and grab the first guy we saw, bring him back to our town, beat the, the crap out of him until he told us the guy's name. And if he wouldn't tell us the guy's name, we'd say, if you don't tell us now, we'll be back and we'll get somebody else. And they just kept beating up somebody until they found out who it was. Then they got the guy that actually did it and they had their own street justice and there was very little crime, but you know, that's a whole different way of life. We're not that we do have a system of justice and the wheels spin maybe too slowly for some people, 
but they do spin. And we're going to see them spin, even if the president is impeached. Uh, and I don't know that all the Democrats are going to vote in the House to impeach him. Uh, I think we will see, uh, uh, if it does go to the Senate, I think we're going to see a trial that is much fairer. And we're going to hear a lot of things that the Democrats don't want us to hear. So, you know, they may not want him impeached, even though they're going through the motions of impeachment. And, I, you know, I think that this is, uh, you know, it's a good political ploy if it doesn't backfire on them, which it might, which it might. So rape's a problem in India. It's not their biggest problem, but it is a problem. But I would say even bigger problem is the lack of uh, jurisprudence and the police, if it's true what Sudi told me, and I don't know, uh, if it's true that these policemen took these four guys out and executed them uh, vigilante style. That's not right. I don't like that. I don't think it's the way to work. And uh, I think that if you put that in the context of our Bill of Rights and of all the things that we have and that are sacred to our government and our communities and our way of life, then you have to consider all of the Bills of Right as being complementary to the Constitution and to each other. Again, it's no mistake that the, the Second Amendment uh, or rather the uh, second, uh, yeah, the second amendment is right below the first amendment there. You know, that is very obvious that if you want to protect your basic freedoms of speech and congregation and religion and uh, uh, newspapers and all the things that we, we hold so sacred and dear, even though they're annoying at times, then you got to have some way to protect it. How are you going to protect it? You have to be willing to stand up and fight for it. How are you going to stand up and fight for it if you're not armed? Because you're certainly not going to take on the police or the federal government or the state governments if you don't have guns with which to stand up and say this isn't right and we're going to fight for our, our basic freedoms. I mean, we're seeing that in, in Hong Kong now. Let's look at the situation there. Those kids, those young people in Hong Kong are fighting for their basic freedoms, which were granted to them when Britain ceded Hong Kong back to, or gave up the lease after the lease expired back to the Chinese and said, we'll do it on these terms. And one of them was that the people of Hong Kong should have at least 50 years of democracy. And here are these kids without weapons, uh, without, uh, they're, they're just, uh, and they haven't really perpetrated much violence against the police, although in the Chinese press, you would think that they're the, uh, the ones who are violent and that there are police and, and uh, civil servants being killed by these kids uh, who are rebelling in, in Hong Kong. And that's just not true. That's not true. But, but you know, they're not getting the full story in, in China and their internet is blocked. They don't, they don't get access to what we do. And I know this because I talked to these folks in China uh, on WeChat and they, they're all for the government because they think that the young people in Hong Kong are being abusive of the government. So therefore, they're government. That's understandable. Well, with that, I'll morph into uh, Mr. Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg, who is running for president now. Uh, he started his campaign late, and he's a, a multi-billionaire worth about $15 billion made his money in the uh, uh, 
uh, in the securities business. He started his own company in the 80s. After he uh, was successful, he ran for mayor of New York City and uh, was elected. And he claims that he did a great job there. Of course, a lot of things were already in motion, but he's certainly a hell of a lot better than de Blasio. And he actually went to work every day. De Blasio doesn't even show up. And he's taken uh, a, a moderate to liberal stance on, on a number of issues, including uh, gun control. And uh, so he wants to ban assault weapons. And we'll talk about that a little bit more, as well as some of his other stands, which uh, are, to me, interesting in that they reflect uh, a lot of what we consider the middle left democratic mainstream. And, and whether or not he can get any traction, I don't know. Being mayor of New York, as my friend Al says, is oftentimes a dead-end job. You're not going to get to be the president from New York City mayor, mayoral office. But who knows? Times change. And with that, I'm going to go grab a cup of Joe. I'll be right back. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD. I'm in a New York state of mind. With SRN News, I am Michael Harrington in Washington. Hundreds of thousands of marchers have crammed Hong Kong streets today in a mass show of support for the city's protest movement, which has hit the halfway uh, the uh, half-year mark. Hundreds of thousands of people first marched on June 9th against a now-withdrawn proposal to allow criminal suspects to be sent for trial in mainland China. The movement has expanded to demands for full democracy. SpaceX has made an early holiday delivery to the International Space Station. The Dragon capsule arrived at the orbiting outpost this morning, delivering a number of different things, including some Christmas presents and some scientific experiments. And North Korea says it's carried out a, quote, very important test at its long-range rocket launch site this weekend that was reportedly rebuilt after having been partly dismantled. This is SRN News. Dr. Bill for Bay Area Medical, located at 6399 38th Avenue North in St. Pete, 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Full-service clinic with x-ray, heart imaging, ultrasound, stress testing, and minor surgery. We provide quality health care in a warm and friendly atmosphere. We are multilingual, well-trained, and certified. Most American insurance and new patients accepted. Bay Area Medical, home of Can Care. 727-384-6411, 727-384-6411. Hello, this is Dr. Bill Handelman for our good friends at Tampa Bay Imaging. TBI provides state-of-the-art MRI and CT scanning with the lowest radiation possible. Most insurance plans accepted and self-pay rates are very competitive. TBI is conveniently located in Tampa and St. Pete with evening and weekend appointments. So call TBI today or ask your doctor. In Tampa, call 813-386-3674. St. Pete, call 727-545-9674. What if you could wake up without the burden of owing over $10,000 in taxes to the IRS or state? Call the trusted name in tax resolution. Anthem Tax Services, 866-843-0219. With over 30 years of experience in tax preparation and tax law, we are ready to negotiate your tax debt and reach a settlement that makes sense for you. Anthem saved me nearly $17,000 and settled my debt with the IRS for just $100. 866-843-0219. 
We are the only company that is confident enough in our services to offer a 100% money-back guarantee if we can't put you in a better position than where you started. All you need to do is call for a free consultation. Call 866-843-0219. You may even qualify to save up to 99% off your tax debt. Call Anthem today and we'll also take care of your tax case study for free, saving you hundreds of dollars. 866-843-0219. 866-843-0219. Attention Millennials and Gen Z. Tired of being called kid when you pay your own bills? That participation trophy didn't do anything for your income, but this sure can. At National Aviation Academy, you can learn to work on and maintain aircraft in as little as 14 months. Call 800-659-2080 or visit wingmenwanted.com. Trash the trophy. Invest in actual certifications. Call 800-659-2080 or visit wingmenwanted.com. For more information on our statistics, visit naa.edu slash success. Here is your exclusive AccuWeather forecast. Today, partly sunny, high 79, mainly clear tonight with a low 63. Tomorrow, mostly sunny, high getting up to 80. Moonlit night tomorrow night with a low of 64. Then for Tuesday, partial sunshine, high 82. Clouds will increase Tuesday night with a low of 68. That's your AccuWeather forecast. I'm Kevin Snyder for AM860, The Answer. I'm in a New York state of mind. And I'm back. This is Dr. Bill, your Radio MD, coming out at you on uh, AM 860, The Answer, and WLSS. Uh, I think that we're on that station, right? 930 in Sarasota. Actually, I misspoke earlier, Doc. <laughs> we're not simulcast down there. I just found out. People are waving me off on that. Are we on FM somewhere? We are on FM in Tampa, yes. Okay, good. All right. So we got We, we are on F- two stations. They're both in Tampa, though. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yeah, but the FM station is? 96.7. Is that right? 92.4. You're giving me signals from the other room over there. <laughs> Somebody I've come been in here, here and help my, help my producer. Help. I've only been here for six months. I should know this by now, but I guess I don't. <laughs> And if you want to join the show, we're at 877-969-8600. You know, if you, if you can hear us, you're on the right station. There you go. That's right, 877-969-8600. So we're talking a bit about Mike uh, Bloomberg, who has thrown his hat into the uh, primary. Uh, by the way, the uh, Federal Election Campaign Act, uh, if you read it closely, uh, even if Trump was interfering in the 2020 election, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't violate the law because – you don't have a candidate described yet or selected yet by the Democrats who he will be up against. So, you know, as a citizen, he can interfere in whatever he wants. Uh, he can voice his opinion. At any rate, so Bloomberg, he's big on this gun safety thing, and he sees uh, the gun violence crisis as a true national emergency. I mean, we've had gun violence in this country since the inception. People have been shooting each other. Uh, I mean, I don't know why all of a sudden it's an emergency. Uh, and Mike believes we need a president. This is right off of his website, by the, by the way, who will make gun violence a top priority and who has a track record of taking on the NRA and winning, according to him. He's done it. It's about getting things done. And, of course, he wants to have a comprehensive gun safety program, and that includes effective background checking system at the point of sale. We already have that. So that's nonsense. You know, 
the left has convinced people that you can walk into a gun shop and buy a gun and walk out. You cannot. You cannot do that. You have to fill out a form. You have to put your social security number. You have to put in the aliases that you've ever had. And yes, you can lie. You can use a false uh, social security number. But all of this goes onto a piece of paper. That piece of paper is sent to the sheriff's office or the police department or whatever uh, local jurisdiction has the uh, uh, the surveillance of all of that and investigates all of that. And they investigate you and they go to the uh, state and federal websites and you can do it yourself. The Florida Department of Law Enforcement has a website and you can check for people uh, for their background uh, criminal record. You can do that. We do that frequently when we hire people. And as I said on the show a few few months ago, I had one woman come in and they my employees say, I loved her. She was just so charming, so nice, and so experienced. And, <clears throat> and so I said, wait a minute. So we ran the FDLE background check on her, and she had been arrested for uh, grand theft of $5,000, greater than $5,000 back in the 1980s. Now, maybe she had reformed, but uh, as I've also told people in the emergency room, if there's a doctor or a, nurse or a nurse who comes into the emergency room that you think is just the most wonderful person you've ever met, they're up to no good. They're probably trying to steal narcotics. So sociopaths can be charming. At any rate, required point of sale background checks for all guns. We already have that. Mike's going to bring that in. No, he's not. We have that. In, every state has that. I mean, come on. Uh, and it requires every gun buyer to get a permit before making a purchase. Permit for what? Permit for concealed weapon carry or permit just to own a gun? Well, the Supreme Court's already spoken on this. You cannot demand a permit for every gun sale because a permit will then be in the state or local jurisdictions informational files or their databases and that is a, a violation of one of our basic rights to privacy and to the the right to own a gun so how did hitler do this well this is what he did he said first of all uh, well, the Weimar Republic started it because the left, the communist and the right, the fascists in Germany after World War II were fighting each other and arming. And so the Weimar Republic said, well, you've got to get a permit and you've got to register and you've got to do all this. And, and with the best of intentions, they didn't want a civil war in the streets. And so that progressed up through the 1920s and 30s. And, you know, finally, Hitler said, you have to have a permit to own any kind of a gun, and we have to decide, the government, whether or not we want you to own a gun, and we need to know if you do own a gun. And by the way, if you're a Jew and you own a gun, we're going to take you out and kill you because it's illegal for Jews to own guns. Well, what if you had an old relic, you know, an old uh, uh, flintlock? Well, you know what? That's a gun. Out you went. Bang. Another dead Jew. And so Hitler basically disarmed the whole country. Now, Maybe some of these people believe that they are doing something right by disarming everybody. Maybe they truly believe that they're going to, in some way, help save uh, lives. How many lives are you going to save? You know, I would say to Sudi, my friend, who thinks that 
uh, assault rifles are, are evil and all these people that are being killed is terrible, I would say, hey, you got 30,000 automobile deaths a year. You've got a couple of hundred at the most uh, assault rifle deaths a year. Why aren't you out there doing something about traffic safety and automobile safety to decrease the number of deaths from motor vehicle accidents? Why aren't you doing something about the kids uh, that are being killed at the crosswalks uh, on their way to or from school? Why aren't you doing something about the old people who are driving and jumping the curb and hitting guys like me on a bicycle who are minding their own business and not even on the road? Why aren't you doing something about that, Sudi? You're going to save a lot more lives there than you are uh, in, in going after me because I have, uh, you know, a, a, a 5.56 rifle that's semi-automatic. I mean, basically, it's just a fancy-looking hunting weapon. Same thing with a bigger clip. And so what Bloomberg wants to do is he wants to know who owns a gun. That ain't going to happen. The Supreme Court's already knocked that down several times. And he wants to screen for people who are uh, unstable psychiatrically. How are you going to do that? We've talked about that on the show. How would you do that? Are you going to give everybody an an MMPI personality Minnesota Multiple Personality Index test when they come in, well, that's an hour, an hour and a half, two-hour test. That's just going to encourage people to to buy it on the black market. They're not going to go in and do that. And uh, wants to close the loopholes of private gun sales. Well, I mean, how the heck are you going to do that? If, if you outlaw the sale of, of guns privately, even if it's a person who, who actually does a check, you know, a little guy who's got a little side business and he's signed up with the government and he's got the background checked and all that, but he's just on, uh, you know, eBay or whatever. How are you going to do that? If you take away his right to sell guns, how are you going to stop him from selling guns illegally? And How are you going to stop him from bringing guns in from out of the country illegally? I mean, it'll just push up the price of guns and it'll make, uh, 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 make, make the, the scene even darker than it already is because there'll be a lot more illegal guns out there. And if there are more illegal guns, people are going to say, well, you know what? I don't think this can be traced back to me. So why don't I just go out and knock over that liquor store? And if I have to shoot somebody to get out of there, well, they're not going to catch me anyway. And that's the way people think. And so he also wants to ban all guns in K through 12 schools, colleges, and universities, except for law enforcement. Well, if you want to do that, why don't you do what Dr. Bill has been advocating for the past several years, which is form a home militia of properly screened people who take the Minnesota Multiple Personality Index, who are physically capable, who are emotionally committed to protecting their fellow citizens, train them in the use of uh, uh, semi-automatic pistols, arm them legally, and have every one in 10 or every one in 20 citizens armed and ready to take action. Just the idea that you don't know if the guy sitting next to you is armed is a deterrent. You know, that's what they do with these air marshals. I mean, they come on the plane. They look like you and me. You don't know who they are. 
uh, one of the kids, uh, my my nephew, my wife's nephew, one of his buddies is an air marshal. And um, you know, he's just a tall, lanky looking young guy. And he dresses in blue jeans and a t-shirt and he's armed and he gets on the flight and you don't know if he's there or not. And you wouldn't know if he was an air marshal or not. And he just chit chats and talks and yeah, I'm going to New York to see my mother and you know, eat some Korean food and you don't know. And here he is an armed air marshal. Why can't we do that uh, for the everyday citizen, uh, not just for the air airplane flights? Why can't we do it for everybody who's in town? who's in the city, who's in the state, who's on the subway, who's riding a bus, uh, who's at Walmart shopping. If you got one in 10 or even one in 20 people who are armed uh, and you think you're going to go in there and just start shooting people dead without some resistance, you better think twice. And and I think this is a real deterrent. This is a real deterrent. Uh, Nothing so, uh, so wonderfully focuses a man's mind is the thought that he might be dead within a, a day or two. Nothing focuses your, your thoughts so much. And, and of course, Mike wants to tackle daily gun violence in the hardest hit communities. And now we're talking about Chicago. He wants to fund annually for public health research into gun violence. Okay. Uh, He wants to require all gun buyers to wait at least 48 hours before any firearm purchase. Well, that's already there. You know, you you can't just go in and in Florida, you can't do that. You can't go in and buy a gun. You go in, you you say, I want that gun. You pay, you fill out the form. They say, we'll call you when, when, when the background check comes back and you're clear and it's three to five days. I forget what, what the actual length is in Florida. It's been a while since I bought a pistol, but it seemed like it was five days in Florida. I may be wrong. And of course, he he wants to require all gun owners to report if their firearms have been lost or stolen. That's already the law. That's already in the law books. I mean, he's just repeating stuff that's already there. It's all a bunch of nonsense. This is the way that the uh, that the middle Democrats feel. And he wants to hold the gun industry accountable and elevate government's response to the gun violence crisis. How are you going to hold them accountable? The Supreme Court's already ruled on this innumerable times. He wants the broad immunity that gun manufacturers and dealers have under the repeal, the protection, under the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act. He wants to repeal that. And I mean, he can, he can try and he can, might even get it through, through Congress. But once it goes up to the Supreme court, it'll be thrown out. He knows that he's no dummy. He didn't become a billionaire because he's an idiot. And so we see this, this uh, kind of nonsense being bantered about by people on the left and in the center. And he wants to, uh, reform the criminal justice system, which means he wants to cut down on the length of uh, the prison terms for a lot of crimes. Hey, you know what? We did this. We tried this. We've had prison reform off and on since the beginning of the, of the Republic. The Quakers started all this back in the 1840s and 50s. They wanted prison reform. They finally gave up in the 1980s, I think. 
because they said you can't reform people who are antisocial. You can't reform people who are bad personality disorders. And that's what I had been saying on this show for ages now. You cannot reform them. So he wants to cut down on the people who are in a number of people who are incarcerated. And there are more than 2 million who are in uh, federal and state prisons. And the government is supposedly spending the U.S. government. He says U.S. government. I guess he means the federal government about 80 billion a year. I don't know the exact figure, but it, you know, it's going to cost 30 to 50,000 a year to keep a prisoner uh, incarcerated in state and federal uh, institutions. And he says that the unemployment rate for formerly incarcerated people is 27%, more than six times the current national unemployment rate. More than that, by the way, Mike. Uh, and why is that? And the recidivism rate is still very high. He, he supports the First Step Act, and he believes that Washington can go further. The Justice Department should provide incentives for states to experiment with and evaluate the impact of shorter sentences. Hey, the impact of shorter sentences is higher crime rates. You know, even Bill Clinton figured this out. And he went for more incarceration, more uh, uh, crime fighting, longer sentence sentences. I mean, look, rapist, murderers, uh, recidivist, they're not going to change. They are not going to change. It's too deeply imprinted, too early in life in their uh, in their uh, in their subconscious for them to change. They've lost their ability to connect with other human beings emotionally, and once you lose that. You know, there's there's nothing to stop you from doing what you want, whether it's uh, uh, stealing, robbing, raping, uh, torturing, killing. You know, if you don't see your fellow human being as the same as yourself, you know, treat do unto others as you would have others do unto you, then you're a sociopath and you're not going to change. Now, maybe at some point we will have medication that will allow us to fix this. And we've certainly done some good with some of the person milder personality disorders by treating their depression and their anxiety and with long-term behavioral and talk therapy. But those are the very mild cases. Uh, and, and I know because I'm one of them. I, I, I must admit, I am one of them. And I want to, uh, I want to uh, make it clear that medications did help me and that I've seen a lot of people who it has helped. So I think that a lot of what Mr. Bloomberg is proposing is not new. Uh, he wants bail reform. He wants the juvenile justice system reform. And he wants everything to be hunky-dory and all these poor people who are being taken advantage of by the big mean police and systems. He wants all that to be uh, A-OK. -okay. Looks like we're getting close to the end of the show. You still there, Ken? I am. I never leave your side, Doc. By the way, I it's ninety-it's ninety-three point seven FM. You can hear me. I can. I can hear you fine. Yes, I can hear you fine, Doc. It, by the oh, way, it's ninety-three point seven FM. Just ninety-three point. There you go. FM. I've got the. <laughs> okay, now, <laughs> now we got, got that settled. <laughs> so it's, uh, we're on eight sixty AM. At eight sixty AM, ninety-three point seven FM, both collectively known as the answer. And we are the answer. Listen, we're giving it to you right now. 
We have the answers. You have the answers for us, Doc. That's right. Every morning on Sunday. That's right. And so, at any rate, so Bloomberg, he wants to, he doesn't want any imprisonment for young people uh, who have not committed a violent offense. Uh, is breaking a window a violent offense? No. I mean, violence is technically, it's when you in, in, enact harm against another living being. Now, so if you go out and you hit a baseball, are you being violent? Well, you hit the ball. But what if you take that baseball bat and you beat it on the ground because you're mad? Well, you know, I don't see that as violence. Uh, but by the same token, if you break my window with your baseball bat, then I think that you need to be held accountable. Should you go to jail long term if you're a kid? Well, if you're a first time offender, no. I mean, look, my son and his buddies broke into the house across the street. I mean, broke in. The back door was open. It was empty. We even rented the place for a year before we rebuilt our house. This was several years ago. And the guy next door to him or next door to that, a, that vacant house called the Gulfport police. Guess what? The wife and I just decided to go and sit on the front balcony and have a, a cold drink and watch the sunset. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's five Gulfport police cars surrounding this little yellow house across the street in a gated neighborhood. And, uh, and we're like, wow, what's going on? Then they bring the kids out in handcuffs with guns drawn. They went in because they thought that the house had been broken into in a gated neighborhood with a private security guard there, you know, the Gulfport police don't have a whole lot to do by the way, but at any rate, I was glad that they were as responsive as they were. And so we walked over and we said, Hey, that's our kid. What's going on? He broke into this house and along with his buddies, his buddies wanted to smoke dope. And we had told Zeke, you do that. And you're out of here. You go live with your mother. You're out of the house. And so he actually did not smoke any dope. We did a urine test on him and he was okay. But you know what? They still had to go through some kind of juvenile justice, uh, justice system. And although the charges were dropped, uh, on the agreement that he would go to the kitty court. And what they had set up is that they had high school students who volunteered and were selected to be the jurors. And they had a law student or a young uh, uh, lawyer as the judge. And you went in and you had to tell everybody what you did. And the, the judge read what the police report said. And then the high school students would go out, the jury, they'd go out and they'd decide what your punishment would be. And his punishment was that he had a 10 o'clock curfew for six months and he had to maintain a B or higher average. And he had to write uh, a report on what he did and why it was wrong. And he had a few things he had to do. And, and, you know, he, he had to stick by that and we made him stick by it. And there was no record. There were no charges filed, but th that's fine. You know, I think that you have to have some way in which to tell these kids that they can't just run amok. Let's face it. If it weren't for the fear of incarceration, I probably would have been a lot wilder than I was. If it hadn't been for the fear of getting shot and killed, I probably been a, would have been a lot wilder than I ever was. And so there are, there are deterrents. And if kids are recidivist, then they need to go to juvie. They need to be locked up. They need to know that it's wrong. Of course, the main thing in my opinion is to is to screen these kids when they come into pre-K because you can pick them up early and you can get into these homes where there's abuse and neglect, which is 99% of these antisocial personalities, psychopathic personalities background. 
and you can do something about it. So if Bloomberg really wanted to do something, he'd be working a lot earlier in the game. I don't see anything new with this guy. He ain't going nowhere. Same old stuff. It's all a rehash. Well, looks like we're getting close here, bud. And now we've, we finally got the station sorted out. <laughs> I'm out of here. Love you guys. I'll see you next week. I'm Dr. Bill, your Radio MD.